Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God. I want to talk about the church in the wilderness and also provide a fairly comprehensive apostolic succession list, which I think would be the longest one uh, that's been presented uh, on, on YouTube by uh, any Church of God leader. Our previous sermon that we did, we talked about uh, laying on of hands succession, and I'm not going to go through all the details on there. But I want to start off today by talking about the church in the wilderness. And this is based upon a couple of different things, history as well as prophecy. If you've got your Bible, you might want to start along, uh, go along with it, read along with me. I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 12, starting verse 6. Now, this particular sermon is based a lot on a book that we have, free online, called Belize Original Catholic Church, which is available at the ccog.org website. And you can go to the literature tab under books and booklets, and you can find this. Matter of fact, any literature that I hold up today, uh, serves of books, all books I hold up today would be available at ccog.org. Well, anyway, the reason I mentioned that toward the outset is in that particular book, I have used Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Catholic accepted translations of Scripture. So when I read something, it may not be the same exactly as what your Bible might say, but the concept is still there. So anyway, Revelation chapter 12, verse 6 prophesies, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, that there they should feed her a thousand two hundred sixty days. Now, this is from the Dewey Rames uh, translation. Now, based on the year-for-a-day principle in scriptures such as Numbers uh, 24, excuse me, Numbers 14.34, or the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this has been considered to be a reference for a 1260-year period according to a variety of theological writers. I'd like to start off, actually, with a quote from... Uh, uh, John Brain, who wrote back in uh, 1649 in a book that I've read, says, Revelation 12.6, 1260 days, prophetically are 1260 years. So that's from the mid-17th uh, century. I'd like to read something from the 20th century. This is by Herbert W. Armstrong. Revelation 12.6, And the woman, the church, fled into the wilderness, now we get into the Middle Ages, where she has prepared, a, has a place prepared of God that she should feed her there for a thousand two hundred six three score days. That's twelve hundred and sixty years. Now that particular twelve hundred and sixty years is not synonymous with twelve hundred and sixty years of the revival of the ancient Roman Empire. So what Herbert Armstrong says, yes, it's twelve hundred and sixty years, but it starts not the same time the. Uh, of the revival of the Roman Empire. He said it starts before that time. Now, in a sense, the true church of God has been a church in the wilderness throughout the church age because of our small, relatively small size and about being persecuted. Now, before going further, perhaps I should mention that some within the Roman Catholic Church believe that uh, the woman in Revelation 12.6 is a reference to Jesus' mother Mary. But I'd like to read something in the comments section from the Rames New Testament. And this is uh, uh, the, from the Rames New Testament of 1582, under annotations. 
chapter 12, verse 6 of Revelation, or Apocalypse as they call it, the women fled. The great persecution that the church shall flee from, by enlarging the sense, it also signifies the desolation and affliction that the church suffers and has suffered from time to time in this wilderness of the world by all forerunners and ministers of Antichrist, tyrants, and heretics. So that's from the Rings uh, New Testament annotation from 1582. Now here's something from a book with an imprimatur uh, by a priest by the name of Kramer, a Roman Catholic priest. The woman of chapter 12 is not the Blessed Virgin Mary. The ancient interpreters, beginning with Hippolytus Methodius, understood this was a figure of, a, of the church. Verse 6 relates to the flight of the woman exile. And because this book is called Beliefs of the Original Catholic Church, it's one of the reasons that I go into this, because uh, people did believe Revelation 12.6 was a reference to the church as opposed to, to Mary. Uh, now, some modern Roman Catholics teach otherwise, and of course that would be a change from the earlier teaching. Now, that being said, there is a 1260-year period that various ones believe ran from sometime in the 4th century till the late 16th century or the early to mid-17th uh, century. Or more precisely, some believe that the period of time the church was going to flee into the wilderness started at the time of Emperor Constantine's Council of Nicaea in 325. But because that council's decision didn't require fleeing, it was a bit more open, if you will, ecumenical, or accepting, tolerant, as he had, uh, that probably wouldn't be it. So more likely, if it happened in Constantine's time, it would have been sometime after 331, where he had his edict against heretics. But it's maybe more probable that the start was perhaps a few decades later. Because of actions, uh, intensive persecutings, intolerance, and statements from Emperor Theodosius, uh, a 380 approximately date might be a reasonable starting point for when the 1260 years began. So it's possible that the wilderness period was from 380, around 380 to 1640, uh, or if it was earlier in Constantine's time, from around 331 to uh, 1591. Now, accurate information during that period is difficult to come by. Yet we know that this uh, during this wilderness period, groups who had ties with uh, the true Church of God claimed apostolic succession and seemingly uh, possessed lists of leaders that we don't have uh, access to anymore. And I do intend to show a list uh, later. Now, I will comment, there's many sources that back up this view. Even the Catholic Encyclopedia admits that early succession for one of the wilderness groups was basically was only a probable conclusion. So so there is acceptance that there were other groups. So I'm going to go through a bunch of quotes from various historians and uh, theological writers uh, about different people or groups, if you will, during this 1260-year wilderness period uh, and to see some of what they have to say. For example, I mentioned Catholic Encyclopedia. Let me read something uh, from their article there on the Cathari. It says, Cathari, from the Greek, katharos, pure. 
To their geographical distribution, they own the names of Albigenses from Albi. The designations Polincini point to their probable Oriental origin. When they say Oriental origin, that doesn't mean they're not, the Catholic Society isn't referring to uh, China or Japan or Korea or Vietnam, that, that, that part of the Orient. They're talking more Asia Minor area, uh, basically modern Turkey and in that general area and perhaps uh, over into uh, their, the Near East, like into uh, perhaps Armenia. Anyway, it says, their designation Polisiani point to their probable Oriental origin. However attractive it may be to trace the origin of the Cathari to the first centuries of Christianity, and we believe it is attractive to trace their origin to the first century of Christianity, we must be cautious not to accept as a certain historical fact what up to present is only a probable conclusion. You understand what the Catholics just, Roman Catholics just said? They said, maybe we shouldn't accept as a historical fact. It only seems to be a probable conclusion. Well, we in the Continuing Church of God believe it has to be a fact. It's a fact because Jesus said in uh, Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus said his church would never die out. So the true church did not die out, went from the time of the apostles to present. Uh, that, is, that is a biblical fact. If you don't believe the Bible, then you don't care. But if you do believe the Bible, then you know there must have been a connection to the beginning. Now, let me read something from uh, uh, Gibbons. Politians, a succession of teachers and uh, congregations repeatedly arose. See, so said there was a succession of leaders. So they didn't just pop up. Now, I want to read something from the old Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course, Lesson 50, 1968. The Paulicians claim to be the universal and apostolic church. Excuse me. Claim to be the holy universal and apostolic church. And the word universal there could also be Catholic. So the Paulicians claim to be the holy Catholic and apostolic church, founded by Jesus Christ and his apostles. They taught that the church is not a building, not just an organization, but an organism, a body of truly converted baptized persons, which has continued unbroken with apostolic tradition from its beginning. Jesus Christ was and is the head of the church. The succession of ministers thus begun by the hands of Jesus Christ remained unbroken in the true church through all ages. So the old worldwide church of God knew that, but did not restore a, a list on that, and I'll get to that later. Now, I mentioned Gibbons, and I mentioned Catholic Encyclopedia. I want to read something from the Catholic Encyclopedia article on the Paulicians. Since Gibbon, the Paulicians have often been described as a survival of early and pure Christianity, godly folk who clung to the Gospels, rejecting later superstitions, who were grossly calumniated by their opponents, Paulicians practically disappear from history, but they left traces of their heresy. Now they're calling having original faith heresy. In Bulgaria, the Bogomil sect, which lasted through the Middle Ages and spread to the West in the form of Cathari, Albigenses, and other Manichean heresies, is a continuation 
Polysianism. In Armenia too, similar sects derived from them continue to our own time. So Catholic Encyclopedia again is admitting that there were groups that had ties and had a succession of leaders. But most people don't know that. Now here's a, uh, a report from uh, Dean Blackwell, who was an evangelist in the old Worldwide Church of God. He says, the Bolgamels, and he was quoting somebody else here, they believe their own ministers were the true spiritual successors of the apostles. Then he says, much has been said about the origin of the Waldenses. The Waldenses claimed that they had an uninterrupted succession of bishops from the time of the apostles, and they're probably correct in that claim. Jones then quotes, quotes Peter Alex, History of the Churches of Piedmont. In his church, History of the Church of Piedmont, Alex mentions the church as the church of God. It will be observed that the people called them Waldenses. So, so Dean Blackwell says, hey, they called themselves Church of God. They declared themselves to have apostolic succession and have apostolic authority. Even their ministers have been ordained in an unbroken chain since the apostles. This is some claim, but it is true, wrote Dean Blackwell. Now I go to a non-Church of God source, uh, uh, Benham wrote, Rejecting, therefore, on the appointment of ministers, they were desirous of obtaining in all faithfulness that which they believed to be the alone truly authorized succession of Christ's genuine priesthood. And they practiced a true Christian life in the midst of trials from poverty, having among them the rightly appointed and untainted apostolic succession. Being scattered abroad in various countries, they came at last to us, particularly to Austria, and often held their meetings there. Yet they supported amongst them the true apostolic succession of ministers and bishops. After the aforesaid manner of appointment, without break, down to the year 1450, about which time there was a separation of the Bohemian Brethren. And as the Waldenses, already mentioned, affirm that they had legitimate bishops and an uninterrupted legitimate succession from the apostles downwards, the Brethren sent them three ministers from their own unity. So, the other report. Now, here's from uh, Christian uh, Edwardson, Facts of Faith, uh, 1943. We shall now briefly trace the apostolic Christian Sabbath keepers from Antioch to Syria, which is from Antioch in Syria, sorry. When the Portuguese Roman Catholics came to Malabar, India in 1503, they found that these Hindu Christians, they weren't Hindu Christians, they were Indians, uh, maintained the order and discipline of a regular church under Episcopal jurisdiction and that for 1,300 years past they had enjoyed a succession of bishops appointed by the Patriarch of Antioch. We, said they, are the true faith. Whatever you from the West may be, we came from the place the followers of Christ were first called Christians. So in other words, in India, in 1503, when Roman Catholic missionaries showed up, they saw people profess Christ who didn't have their practices, and said that they had succession from the patriarch in Antioch, which probably would have been Serapion of Antioch, maybe Lucian of Antioch, which were Church of God leaders, 
who did not, those Church of God leaders did not end up with the same change doctrines that the Greco-Roman Catholics ended up with. Now here's something from the proceedings of the New York State Historical Association. The Waldenses, their own historians assert that the community has remained from apostolic times independent of the Church of Rome, and they boast they can show a regular apostolic succession of bishops from the earliest period of Christianity to that of the Reformation. Now I'd like to read something uh, regarding the Moravian Church. Now the Moravians, part of the Moravians were Sabbath keepers, and Sabbath keepers in the 1500s. Anyway. Furthermore, each of our churches has bishops ordained in historic succession. We affirm the local adaptation of the ministry of bishops through the tremendous faithfulness that the Moravian Church has demonstrated in maintaining a succession of bishops which they originally understood to be of apostolic origin. Now, this is another thing related to, uh, this is from a book called On the Episcopacy of the Hernhuters, commonly known as Moravians. Waldensians, branch of the Hussites, in 1451 did apply for and did receive from the Greek, receive orders from the Greek church. And what that means is that they claim, the Waldensians, who claimed, look, we have apostolic succession. Now some quit being faithful to the original Church of God doctrine, but they were accepted by uh, the Greek Orthodox, their, their ministry. Their ministers are accepted by them because they believed they had apostolic succession. Here's another book. The Moravian Church are a branch of the Greek Church and a preserved Episcopal succession, succession of bishops or pastors. It appears this is a branch of the Greek Church which has preserved uh, Episcopal succession with care and circumspection. Now I want to read something that's in something called the Acta Fratum Unitatis in Anglia. This is from the London Parliament basically uh, in 1749. It's related to it. it. It goes back prior to that though. In that 1749 book it quotes a little bit earlier. It says that in the year 1716 to 1717 Potter Archbishop declared that no Englishman who had any notion of ecclesiastical history could doubt of their of their succession of the Moravian Church. The Archbishop of Canterbury declared that the Moravian Brethren were an apostolical and episcopal church. So this is part basically of what happened with the British Parliament in 1749. They accepted that they there was succession there. Now, Dr. Uh, uh, Atwood, uh, who I've had communication with, wrote in his book, the claim of apostolic succession through the Waldensians did help the Moravian Church to be recognized by the Parliament of England in 1749. Now, I'd like to read something from Johnson's Universal Cyclopedia. So why are you reading this? Because there are all kinds of historical records that, yes, there were groups who had apostolic succession, claimed apostolic succession, is considered a probable conclusion by the Roman Catholics. It was accepted by the Greek Orthodox Church. It was accepted by the British Parliament. So when later in this sermon, 
uh, I hold up a list, a succession list, don't think that no such thing could have ever existed. So anyway, Johnson Universal Cyclopedia says, Sabbatarians, they hold there's always been an unbroken chain for men who have kept the seventh day of the week. So, yes, Sabbatarians claim we did not just pop up in this century, that century, or the other century. We've had uh, uninterrupted, unbroken chain, laying out of hand, apostolic succession from Apostle Peter to present. Now here's something from the Encyclopedia of Religion from 1922. While Dancians pushed their back their beginning to the age of primitive Christianity, thus they deny that they first appeared as a set of heretics breaking off from the historical church and claim to have preserved the purity of the faith through the ages while all the rest of the church was degenerating and accumulating the corruptions which they protested from the first. Claims to apostolic origin. This claim is first met with in a Dominican monk at Passau in the year 1316 who states the Waldensians are the most ancient of all the sects, some even saying this sect, Duravit Tempore Patrum, translated into English means lasted from the time of the fathers. Okay, and some think it was founded by uh, St. Paul when he went to, to Spain. But the reality is, the Waldensians claimed to be part of the Greek church. The Moravians, who said they came off the Waldensians, also said they were part of the Greek church. Why do we talk about the Greek church? The Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek. The Greek church, to be separated from, the, let's say, the Latin church, the Greek church, uh, had Peter. Peter was in Antioch. Uh, uh, he was in Asia Minor. Uh, the Apostle John, Apostle John uh, was believed to have died in Ephesus in Asia Minor. Appointed people like Polycarp, who was Greek. Uh, so when I say the, the, the Greek church, we're talking about churches in uh, Asia Minor and uh, uh, Antioch in Syria. And I find it interesting, though, that you know various Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Anglicans, and Episcopal Episcopalians, by the way, and including the Parliament in the, in the British Isles, accepted some type of succession list, or accepted there were successions between the 14th and the uh, 18th centuries. So it's not just a Church of God assertion. One of the reasons I'm bringing this up, and one of the reasons I did this project as a Roman Catholic uh, uh, news source person, we'll, we'll, we'll say she's a journalist, uh, questioned the continuing Church of God, saying that we were like we were just another Protestant sect because we just sprung up in the 21st century, or perhaps uh, through uh, uh, the 20th century, or perhaps the Millerite movement in the 19th century. And the reality is, we did not spring up the Millerite movement, and we have continuity from the original apostles. And extremely importantly, and more importantly, we actually hold to what what this book teaches. We still hold to the original faith, the original Christian faith, original Catholic faith, if you will, as well. Now, there are various uh, writers who talked about some of the leaders in the time of the uh, Church of the Wilderness. I'd like to start off by reading some stuff written by uh, the late uh, Dr. Herman Hay. 
Uh, I knew Dr. Hay a little bit. I mean, I, I met him uh, multiple times. I talked with him. Uh, I asked him various questions. And my, my wife even wrote him, too. This is when you used regular mail, snail mail, uh, not uh, email that, that wasn't going on back then. So anyway, let me read something that Dr. Hay wrote. It was about 6.50 that God, as if by miracle, raised up among the scattered remnants of the church in Cappadocia in Armenia, a man who revitalized his people and spread the gospel. This well-educated man, by the name of Constantine of Manali, was given a, a gift of portions of the Bible. He was utterly amazed by the truth he found revealed in it after study. Soon he began preaching with the help of trained evangelists, found such a fruitful harvest that there were tens of thousands converted to the truth. After 27 years of ministry, he was stoned to death in uh, uh, 684 A.D. But an officer, uh, Simeon, sent to destroy him, was so stirred by his death that he became converted and carried forth the gospel until he was burned to the stake six years later. Within another hundred years, God raised up a third great minister, Sergius, to guide his people who were allowing many false teachings to grow in their midst. The names given to these people of God by their enemies were Athenjanani, meaning those who understood prophecy, and Paulicians, the followers of the Apostle Paul. The reports circulated about the doctrines of these people were slanderous and false. Often false brethren who lived among God's people were confused with the true church. It wasn't until almost the beginning of the 20th century that a book called The Key of Truth containing many of their teachings and the teaching of other groups, was translated in English by Fred uh, Coinybear. This partially preserved record of God's people proves they preached the gospel of the kingdom, that they believed the church was founded not only upon Jesus Christ, but also upon the apostles and prophets, Ephesians 2.20, that they baptized by immersion, that they laid hands for the reception of the Spirit, they not only continued to keep Passover on the 14th of Nisan, but they observed also during the Sabbath and the Feast of a Vessel of Unleavened Bread. Anyway, Dr. Hay continues. It, it was close, it was the close of the 12th century in Lyons, France, lived an astonishingly successful and wealthy merchant, Peter Waldo. Comba said that, quote, he brought to the study of scriptures the practical common sense which had guided him in his business transactions. The word of Christ was clear enough for Waldo. It was simply a question of furnishing literal translation. That's from Comba's uh, church history. The humble remnant, again for Dr. Hay, of the church of God listened to him. Soon many disciples were coming to repentance. His disciples became almost as many co-workers for him. The world called them Waldenses. God's church was once again spreading the gospel. A church for ministers was established to provide the trained help to carry out the gospel. But in 1315 AD, long before the crusade against the Waldenses occurred, the truth of God was carried to England by a German Waldensian preacher, Walter Lollard. It took deep root for a while until the Protestant Reformation. Now I'd like to go to something written by the uh, also late uh, World Church Church God Evangelist. This time it will be Dean Blackwell, who I may have met. I know I've heard him speak uh, when he was alive. Anyway, he wrote, 
Now this particular stage of the church is the first you find supervised by three separate leaders. There aren't two separate divisions of the Thyatira church, but the three are the ministers or apostles of the first stage of that church. The first of these men is Peter de Bru. The second is Arnold of Brescia. The third minister or apostle of this group is Henry of Lausanne. You will find they were actually known by different names than these. Peter de Bru, 12th century, was the leader and the first one to take the truth from the Boga mills, and then afterwards he was stoned to death. Arnold of Brescia began to carry on the truth. Afterwards, he was put to death. Henry of Lausanne began to carry on the same truth. And Dean Blackwell, he's got a section called Prophet Inspired by God, says, from the Catholic Encyclopedia article, Arn of Brescia, Catholic says, the church people, they looked upon him as a prophet inspired by God. One reason I wanted to mention this is repeatedly, when you look at... Uh, writings from Dean Blackwell and some other Church of God leaders, they say that their church had prophets throughout history. And the Catholic Encyclopedia said that this guy was a pro was considered a prophet inspired by God, this Arnold of Brescia, and uh, he was considered a Church of God leader. Anyway, Dean Blackwell says, why would they, why would the people, why would the people do that if Arnold was, were a politician? trying to establish democratic government in pagan Rome. Okay. Now, talks about, uh, it says, these people in the country who, that followed them, look at them as a prophet inspired by God. Henry of Lausanne, a monk of Cluny, when he came in contact with Peter de Bru, he quit carrying a cross. They said he was endowed with the spirit of prophecy. And uh, people around that time during the wilderness considered that the cross was the mark of the beast, or a mark of the beast, by the way. Anyway, Dean Blackwell continues. We're going to conclude with this statement from him. The Church of the Waldenses has inscribed the name of Arnold as her spiritual genealogy. So anyway, despite the fact that the Church went hiding in the wilderness, we do have some names that, that pop up. Well, there are a lot of erroneous and contradictory reports about history, including those from various uh, non-Greco-Roman leaders. Consistent with Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 18, we know the true church would never die out. What about the size of the true church? You don't have to go there, but in Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, uh, Fear not, little flock, for it please your father to give him the kingdom. Uh, that was from a Roman Catholic translation or from an Eastern Orthodox translation. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, I'm going to go to Romans 8. Romans 8, starting verse 28. This is from the Dewey Rames, Catholic translation. And we know that to them who love God, all things work together unto good to such as according to his purpose, are called to be saints. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now I want to jump down to chapter 11, verse 5. Romans 11, verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant saved according to the election of grace. An Eastern Orthodox Bible also, for Romans 11, 5, says, Likewise, at this present time, there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. 
the reality is there's always been a small remnant of saints or true believers throughout the church age. And by the way, the Rheims New Testament, Roman Catholic translation, has the English word saint 61 times in its scriptures. And the vast majority of those times, it's pointing to true Christians. And even the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that uh, saints uh, are are not necessarily just those who've been officially canonized by them. Okay. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 31, he would return with his elect. The Apostle Paul taught that Jesus would return with all his saints in uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, which would include those who uh, died and those who are alive when he returns. Now, is that going to be billions? No, let's go to the book of Jude. Well, God does have a plan for all, and all will be given an opportunity for salvation. Here's the book I want to hold up. And that's documented in this free online book, Universal Offer of Salvation, again available at ccog.org. During this age, God is not calling everyone, and so this is one of the reasons why it's difficult to, to trace the church because it's so small. If God may be calling you, and if you're watching this and understanding this and responding to this, you, God has either called you or is in the process of calling you, uh, I would suggest you study our free online book, Is God Calling You? Also available at ccog.org. Anyway, Jude, verse 14, from the Dewey Rames. Now of these, Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with his thousands of saints, uh, or as the New Jerusalem puts it, uh, the Lord will come with his holy ones in their tens of thousands. Or as the Eastern Orthodox Bible puts it, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. The Bible's talking to, talking about tens of thousands, not tens of millions or tens of billions of saints. And the tr true church has always been relatively small in the church age, including this wilderness time. Those who believe otherwise have seemingly not understood various passages in the Bible. Now, because of the relatively small size, it does make it more difficult to find records and accurate information about the church in the wilderness. Now, when did the true church emerge from the wilderness? Well, it looks like uh, it was toward the end of the 16th century or no later than the early or mid-17th uh, century. Now, a similar church in the wilderness view was uh, also the teaching of the old Radio Church of God, uh, according to a writing from Dr. Herman Hay, uh, he pointed to, which points to uh, maybe it began in 1585, 1591, excuse me, ended, wilderness period ended either 1585, uh, 1591, or 1650. Uh, the late uh, evangelist, uh, uh, Radio Church God evangelist, uh, uh, Leroy Neff, pointed to the time of wilderness ending in 1605 in his uh, his thesis. Now, interestingly, in the 17th century, a Sabbatarian, Peter Chamberlain, he reportedly was influenced by a non-Sabbath-keeping millenarian, person who believed in millennium, by the name of John Brain. And he felt that the 1260 years of wilderness of Revelation 12.6 would end no later than the year 1666. But, and I went back and I read, reread his actual writing, he indicated it could end as soon as 1640. 
which therefore means it began around 380 that, uh, that he hinted. And uh, Brain also wrote that it was not possible that wilderness time started before Constantine. So it happened sometime after Constantine came on the scene and uh, started no later than before uh, Theodosius left it. Now I'd like to read something from uh, the 19th century from a non-Church of God uh, researcher uh, uh, named Hislop. He wrote, the Pope, as he is now, was at the close of the 4th century, as he bears on his head this meter of Dagon. Prior to the 4th century, the Roman Catholic popes did not have this meter hat like uh, the priests of uh, Dagon and Mithra used. And it's interesting, when I've been to uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, and they show you the heads of uh, people they claim to be popes, prior to that time they weren't wearing those, those kind of hats. Uh, now, you might see pictures, other pictures, but the reality is not until the 4th century did they start to wear those kind of things. That was another change they did. Anyway, continuing here, Hislop wrote, it's from this period that the well-known 1260 days began to be counted. For not before did the Pope appear as the head of the universal church. Now, the papacy, as Hislop described it, seems to have arisen between 380 and 384. So, again, he's pointing again to the wilderness period starting around that time and ending around 1640. The 17th, 19th, and 20th century references, I've been mentioned to point out, it's a historical fact that the 1260 years of wilderness ending near or in the 17th century is an old one. It's not a modern invention that, let's say, I came up with. Uh, to justify gaps that we have in our succession list. And we do have some gaps, and we'll get to that in a moment. You know, if the Bible tells the time the church is going to flee in the wilderness for 1260 years, yet we do have evidence of continuity to the church of God consistent with Jesus' words in Matthew 16. But we don't have the name of all the people, all the men. But we do have various names on outsiders who were part of the church of God, even though... Uh, the term Church of God was used by the faithful. A lot of times we were called other things. Uh, but it wasn't until the 1800s that more of the, quote, legally formal organizations formed, reformed, and all that kind of stuff. And that being said, uh, the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox consider that nearly all the leaders that we have on our early succession list through, like, the 4th century are considered to be saints, at least in the early 4th century, as do many Protestants. So they accept that those leaders existed and that they were leaders. Okay? But they held Church of God teachings, not teachings held currently, many teachings currently held by the uh, Church of Rome or the Eastern Orthodox or the Protestants for that matter. Now as far as names go, Different names for the faithful are found in the New Testament, with the Church of God being the most common name, sometimes with other terms added to it. Uh, we also see the term Church of the Firstborn used in Hebrews 12.23. Uh, the term Christian is used a few times. The term Jews is actually used for Christians also, as well as the term Nazarenes. Now, regarding more recent succession, we'll see leaders often had different organizational names, 
And again, I want to comment that those who say the Church of God came to existence because of the so-called Millerite movement of the 1840s are in error. Sure, there was a Millerite movement, but we were not part of it. The Church of God was never part of the Protestant Millerite movement. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, who were not Church of God, they, they claim that, but we don't. We didn't come out of the, Church of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We were separate all the time. It's true some of our people fellowshiped with the church that finally called themselves uh, Seventh-day Adventists, but when they found out more and more what they taught, they said, no, they couldn't be fellowship with them. Uh, I'd like to also read something published by the United States government in, on religious bodies in 1936. It says, The Church of God Seventh-day was organized a separate church organization in this country soon after the landing, here from London, England, in 1620. The Sabbatarian Christian Church of America was connected with the oldest in London, the Milliard Church. In the fall of 1933, a general meeting was called of many ministers and leaders of the church to consider a reorganization. Now, there were American leaders in the 1700s, like Nathan Rogers, and from 1797 to uh, uh, 1820, there was James Dunn. From the 1820s to around 1850, we see Sabbatarian leaders like... Uh, John Cottrell, and from uh, 1823 to 1850, Peter Davis. This is followed by Sabbatarians like Asabi in the 1870s, and none of these men were Millerites. That's why I was reading you these people. Our leaders were not Millerites. Okay, so we can name leaders, they were Millerites. There was also A.C. Long. He was a pre-Civil War Sabbatarian uh, of the Church of God in Missouri, later briefly called the Church of God Adventist. Then he was called the General Conference of the Church of God. And he seemed to hold a succession medal from 1871 to 1900. He was followed by his brother, W.C. Long, from around 1900-1905, and he was succeeded by S.W. Menser from 1905-1921. Now there was Andrew Duggar, A.N. Duggar, of the same Sardis area church, which was renamed uh, Church of God's Seventh Day in uh, 1923. He specifically claimed to have the mantle of apostolic succession. And he may have held it from 1921 to 1933. In 1933, that church reorganized, as I read a few minutes ago. It lost the mantle, and that passed to a Philadelphia-era leader by the name of Herbert W. Armstrong, who was first part of Church of God's Seventh Day, then Radio Church of God, then Worldwide Church of God, we believe he held that mantle till he died on January 16th, uh, 1986. Now, Philadelphia succession was seemingly pushed to Debar Partian, who was part of the Radio Church of God, then the Worldwide Church of God, uh, then the Global Church of God, then the Living Church of God, and he died in 1910, and then, then to myself. Now, I was once part of the Worldwide Church of God, then the Global Church of God, then the Living Church of God, and uh, then from uh, 2012 to present, the Continuing Church of God. Uh, I was anointed, received a double portion of God's Spirit, and was twice told uh, by the anointing uh, Living Church of God minister that this was reminiscent of passing of the mantle in 2011 and 2012, and he later said it uh, to be a couple of years ago, about two years ago, I think it was, that uh, that prayer was answered. While Scripture shows there will be no continuing city for the Christian church, and that's in Hebrews 13, verse 14, it doesn't state that the organizational name or structure will not change. And that's what's confused a lot of people. Because their names change or the names people call this change. Uh, this has confused people. 
and the fact that the church changed locations, a lot of people have wrongly concluded that we in the continuing church of God don't have continuity, but we do. And Jesus said that uh, the Christians would flee from one city to the other before he returned. And only a church that had to move different times could possibly be the correct church. Now, while recognizing that there's that certain historical records are sparse, and many Church of God documents, including lists, were destroyed, we put together a tentative list as it details as several leaders, as well as the dates, are not firmly established. Now, the, I'm going to put up the list in a moment or so. While the first and last couple of centuries are reasonably firm, there's speculated speculation related to several of the names we have during the Church of Wilderness period, which is one of the reasons why I want to talk about the Church of Wilderness first. To to a major degree, the records for that period are mainly reports from those who opposed many Church of God doctrines, whereas in the first couple of centuries, we have writings from Polycarp and Melito uh, and, uh, uh, and others uh, that we, we know. We also, from the 1600s to present, have some, some writings or some information about others as well. This in between time that is much less firm. We also hold that some of the so-called records about individuals and groups from our enemies were not accurate. And various other historians agree. I'd like to read something from Trench's Lectures on Medieval Church History. And this was delivered in uh, Queen's College, London, in London in 1877. Enemies have sought to confound, so there might be imputed to Waldensius any evil which had been brought home to the Albigenses, and these last having been convicted of enormous errors in doctrines and practice, that the condemnation might embrace the Waldenses as well. Now, I've been reading my notes, which are basically a chapter, from a chapter in this particular book. And what he's saying is, I think it was the uh, Greco-Roman churches were say any bad thing they could impute, or try to, they could impute, they would. And it wasn't always reliable. And again, the quotes are in here. Now, Dr. Herman Hayward, I mentioned before, wrote, It's only from the enemies of God's church that we have scanty, malicious records of God's people, who were now defined as heretics and enemies of the church. These records attribute beliefs to God's people, which they never held. And that's one problem with I'm going to hold up. When I when I hold up this list later, people are I'm sure people are going to say, uh, "Look, those people believed in this. They didn't believe uh, in uh, marriage. They didn't believe in this. Those kinds of stuff." That's not true. There are records that say all kinds of bad things about church leaders are not true. And Dr. Hay uh, noted that uh, 60, 70 years ago. Heretics in the true church are often called by the same names. For centuries, Roman Catholic writers mentioned small remnants of the true church within the bounds of the Roman Empire. Sometimes they were individuals, sometimes scattered families, and especially in the Near East, there are few, still a few local congregations preaching the gospel and keeping the commandments. Now, the Near East means places like Asia Minor, Antioch, and uh, all the way to Armenia. Now, to confound means to condemn and confuse, in this case, with misinformation. The pagans and the Jews did this related to our early Christians. You can see that, for example, in Acts 25, verses 7 to 8. But sadly, that happened to later Christians as well. It happens to us to this day. 
So it shouldn't become a surprise that less than flattering statements and even claimed doctrinal issues related to true Christian leaders has occurred throughout the church age, and it happens now. That being said, I want to hold up uh, an imperfect list. It's going to include leaders from the times of the apostles, and it might, and it may represent A or the top COG leader pastor at the time throughout history, with the understanding that there could be other lists, uh, or at least uh, uh, Sabbath-keeping uh, leaders at the same time, uh, whose teachings seem to suggest that they had laying on hands succession. So I'm going to hold this list up, and I'm going to try to go, go through it and make a few comments. Uh, and this list, by the way, is also in this book. Okay, but I thought I'd hold it up now as I talk about it. First, you see, we start off with the Apostle Peter uh, from 31, roughly 31 AD. That would be the uh, uh, day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, till Peter's uh, death. No one's totally sure when that was. Might have been 64 to 68. Some people say it was a decade or two later. Anyway, he was followed by the Apostle uh, John. And the Apostle John was followed by uh, Polycarp of Smyrna. Now, I want to make a couple of comments about this. You see there's a little asterisk there, or a footnote, a note number one. So I'll read my note here. Though he had laying on of hand succession, we in the continuing Church of God do recognize that Polycarp may not have had the succession leadership mantle until 135. If someone else in Asia Minor or someone in Jerusalem could have held it from the time the Apostle John's death until then. Now, one of the reasons we say that is that Polycarp was still fairly young at that stage, or was younger, and people were still kind of looking to Jerusalem. But when the Jerusalem church apostatized in 135, people weren't looking there anymore, and everybody, all the true Christians said, hey, wait, who was the door ordained by an apostle who's still alive? And that was Polycarp. So we consider that Polycarp uh, was the top leader at least from 135, but he was in a leadership position from 100. Now, a lot of the dates that I have that follows this here come from uh, the, uh, basically the Catholic Encyclopedia. But we have uh, uh, Thracius of Smyrna, Sagras of Laodicea, Papyrus of Smyrna, Melito of Sardis, Polycrates of Ephesus. Let me just stop there. We know all these people kept Passover on the 14th, of the first month of the biblical calendar, which is something that the Greco-Romans do not. Now, they call these people saints, but they don't keep their practice. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that Theodosius put out the death penalty was if you kept Passover the 14th, Theodosius was the emperor from around 379 to around 394. It was a death penalty. Okay, So his church was against it. But people that uh, the Greco-Romans, Protestants, and the Church of God call saints all kept Passover on the 14th, and all these people here. Uh, Camarius of Smyrna, Nepos of uh, uh, Arsinoe. Now, he's an interesting one. He was a millennium, He taught the millennium, so did Melito, and so did the other people of Asia Minor. They believed in it. Now, the next part, we've got uh, 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 Dorotheus, or unnamed Antiochi, Antiochians. And the reason we have... Uh, uh, unnamed Antiochians, there was evidence that there were those in Antioch who didn't go along with the Greco-Roman churches. Uh, basically, after Serapion of Antioch uh, was killed, roughly uh, 211, 
the one that's on the Greek Orthodox succession list for that area was not faithful Christian. But there were faithful Christians still in there. And there was basically a separation in Antioch uh, between those that supported uh, the changes of Rome, if you will, and Alexandria, and those that did not. And those that did not would have been were the Church of God leaders. Uh, we know that there were people in Antioch that were continuing to keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, on the biblical holy days, and they were more biblical literalists. Now, Eusebius knew uh, Hebrew, and he may have known who initially founded the school that uh, Lucian of Antioch uh, founded. You see, Luth Lucian is next on our list here. And Lucian uh, was a, a, a Sabbatarian. Uh, he was a Binitarian. Uh, he was a biblical literalist like we in Church of God are. And we know that um, afterwards, you see unnamed uh, uh, Antiochians, uh, we, we do not believe that once he was killed, there was no, nobody else who was faithful. Matter of fact, that can be proven because in the, uh, later, in the late 4th late century, John Chrysostom complained about people keeping the biblical holy days in Antioch. So we know that there are still people doing that there. Uh, the reality is we don't have their names. Uh, Eusebius uh, didn't keep all the names of certain people, and this has uh, been reported by Roman Catholic scholars. They've noticed that certain things Eusebius didn't tell the rest of us. That's one of the reasons we don't have names before Eusebius died. All right, then afterwards you see unnamed uh, Nazarenes. Now I want to talk about that because uh, we know that there were the Nazarenes because people like... Uh, Jerome and Epiphanius wrote about them. They said, okay, these, uh, these Nazarenes, what they did is they, they kept, uh, basically they kept the Holy Days, they kept believing the millennium, they said the Feast of Tabernacles picked the millennium, they, kept, they did the Old and New Testament, etc. And again, one of the reasons we don't have the names is uh, I, we are convinced, and there's evidence to this, that uh, Theodosius' edicts drove people into the wilderness. Theodosius is the one that said you couldn't call yourself a, a Catholic if you didn't accept his version of the Trinity. And the true Christians didn't do that. Now, let's see who you have next on the, on the list here. Try and hold up the list while looking at uh, the list below here. Okay. Um, we've got, the, you know, during the wilderness period, we've got Faithful leaders would be some minority in groups that were called Nazarenes, Paletians, Cathari, Waldenses, Anabaptists, and sometimes other names. And I talked about Jerome. I talked about uh, the Key of Truth book because we learn all these things. Uh, we hear of early missionaries uh, from Antioch into Ocean of Armenia named Constantine. And so he's, you see him next on... On this list, you've got Constantine of Antioch and Ocean. It means he came from the Greek area, Antioch, and he went to Ocean, which is in uh, Armenia. And then, uh, then we, we find there. Were, then we've got some unnamed Paulicians. Now there was a leader from the uh, new with the New Testament who came in from Syria, and he also was going in toward uh, Armenia. We don't have his name. We just have a name that this guy came and this is and he taught, and people uh, responded. So just we know that there were people because there's all kinds of reports about him. 
and let's see here. Then uh, we've got Constantine of uh, uh, Manali. Uh, uh, now, anytime you see a four over here, most of these names and dates came from Church of God literature, with the most detailed being Lesson 50 of the 1968 Ambassador College Correspondence Course. And this is important to know why. Because if you were in the Radio Church of God or the Worldwide Church of God, say, wait a second, they never talked about succession. Yes, they did. They had leaders in different spots, but they never put it all together. To digress for a half a moment here. I spoke with uh, the late evangelist DeBar Party about this a couple of times. He told me that certain attempts were made, but it was never successful. He told me to be uh, careful about that. And I'll go into that again in a few moments. But it was an intent of the old Worldwide Church of God to restore a list of leaders, and uh, they never quite did. Um, I restored a short list of beginning leaders uh, over a decade ago for my prior, prior church organization, uh, which they used to help train uh, some of their ministers, etc. But uh, I haven't seen any other Church of God group uh, do this. Now, I will also add here, I contacted leaders of three or four Church of God seven-day groups uh, and then other Church of God groups, at least th uh, three other uh, Church of God groups. Uh, they're scholars and leaders. Uh, and most didn't have any information. They didn't have much to add. Um, they just they, they didn't know a lot. Also, you would think perhaps that the Seventh-day Adventists would be interested in putting together a Sabbatarian list. I contacted some scholars I knew over there. They ran this by 20 scholars. And one sent some paper that didn't have anything useful, and others promised to assist, and then didn't do it. So um, I did try to involve the Seventh-day Adventists in this, and they uh, didn't didn't help. Of course, the fact that they trace themselves from the Millerite movement is different. But some of the early Adventists, like uh, Andrews, who's Andrews University, was named after, he believed that the his church had succession, but right now they don't teach it that way. They teach they came out of the Millerite movement. And so I guess it's not uh, politically correct or acceptable for them to, to do this. So anyway, after uh, Constantine of uh, uh, Manelli, we have Simeon, Sergius, who I, wrote, I, I talked about him before. And then there's Paul the Armenian. You can see the date, 702 to 717. Then uh, Genesius, then from 746 to 782, Joseph, Ephraim, Odius. Then I've got unnamed Paulicians, because we don't know who's between him and this Sergius uh, Tychicus from 801 to 835. Uh, unnamed Paulicians. Now, before I go further, now we're in, the, uh, we're in the ninth century here, and the Moravians claim that they came out of, some Moravians said they came from the ninth century. Others said that the Moravians and the uh, and or the Waldenses came from the fourth century Greek church or the third century Greek church. And I did a lot of research on this, and there is research that points to the third century, which is where I'm more comfortable thinking that they split off from uh, during the time strapping of Antioch or Lucian of Antioch. Uh, probably came from, came from there, or at least those who had uh, true apostolic succession. 
Now getting back to the list, starting with uh, Basil here, uh, I'm going to read something from the Oxford uh, Dictionary. I mean, this is where I get some stuff from an article on the Bogomils. Some say Basil preceded Bogomil. Some say that Jeremiah was Bogomil. Others assert Bogo, Jeremiah was a successor. So it's contradictory information when you look at historical records. So we've got sketchy information about these men, but one or more we've had succession. For Bogomil himself, we only have a report of an enemy, and we don't believe that uh, source uh, accurately reported all his beliefs. His, as well as Basil's and Jeremiah's personal status as Church of God is not certain. Uh, though some of his claimed doctrinal positions were COG, uh, and some who were, uh, as were some of the groups that were called themselves Bogomils and Bogomilis. So let's see, we're left off here. Okay, Jeremiah, Basil Jeremiah, Sergius. Um, then there's, there's a Peter de Brew, I mentioned it before, Arnold of Brescia. Again, these are people that the old Radio Worldwide Church God taught had succession. Then uh, when I get to uh, Nicetus from 1156 to 1181, uh, this, stuff, this section mainly comes from uh, Duggar and Dodd's True History of True Religion. There was also a leader named uh, Vergenerarius who taught from around 1035 to 1079. But the reason I don't want him in the list, he reportedly recanted on three different occasions before the Roman authorities. Jesus mentioned those who deny him before men would be, be denied in Matthew 10.33 and then Luke 12.9. So he's not in that list. But his existence shows that there were people in the Voudois area with Waldensian beliefs prior to Peter Waldo. Now, we don't consider that Peter Waldo possessed succession until sometime after he rejected the Church of Rome. Plus, we're the view that he later would have had the hands laid on him when he had more understanding, consistent with what happened in Acts 18, verses 24 to 27. And this is also consistent with what happened with various Anabaptist leaders. Now, Nicetus, who is not to be confused with Nicetas Stethos, of the 11th century, was in France. So we see some French connection here. And there was also Frederick Reiser in the 15th century who taught at least some Church of God doctrines, but he, he also recanted under pressure until he's not on the list. And there's just others who are faithful. We just don't have, we just don't have their names. So I've got this list through here. Uh, Peter Waldo, uh, Waldo, Arnold Hutt, unnamed, Sabbatarian uh, Waldenses, and uh, all the ones, by the way, Arnold Hott's name actually comes from Bible Course, Bible's Course, Ambassador College, 1968, less than 51. Then we've got unnamed Sabbatarians. Oh, Waldensians, now I'll go to another list for you. So I, I talked about Peter, Peter the Lollard before, and uh, let's see, okay. Anthony, uh, let's uh, go to something on, a, uh, William, on the William the Lollard. I want to read something. Um, basically, uh, Dean Blackwell wrote, be careful because there are two separate groups that were called Lollards. One group the followers of John Wycliffe, 
were called Wal Lollards. Also, the followers of Walter Lollard were called Lollard. The monk of Canterbury derives the origin of the word Lollard from lolium, a tear, as if the Lollards were tares in Christ's vineyard. Ab Abel says the word signifies praising God from the, word, the German word Loven, to praise and hear. Lord, because the Lollards employed themselves in traveling from place to place, singing psalms and hymns. But my point that I want to emphasize is, again, because there were di different people with the same name, people get confused and say we had certain doctrines that we, that we, did, not, uh, we did not hold. Okay as, far, okay, as far as uh, Anthony uh, Ferrar goes, this, I get this from uh, Tamar Davis's Christian of the History, True History of Sabbatarian Churches. And from him, we have Stephen uh, Carlino, perhaps, or unknown people. According to Duggar, uh, Carlino, Stefano Carlino was tortured till his guts gushed out. Uh, I mentioned about a Moravian Sabbatarian Anabaptist traveling minister. We had another traveling minister. So a couple of times we have reports of a traveling Sabbatarian minister. And there was also somebody by the name of uh, Oswald Glate who had contact with the Moravian uh, Sabbatarians. And uh, Andreas, Fischer, and Andreas Fischer supported the idea of a traveling ministry and perhaps himself considered himself to be an itinerant apostle. But it seems likely that there were people before him. So that's to, that's to Fisher. And now Oswald Glatt and Andreas Fisher worked together, but it seems like Oswald Glatt seemingly apostatized and Fisher didn't. So that's why we don't have uh, Oswald uh, Glatt or Glatt on our on this particular list. Um, now, this I did get from Seventh-day Adventist research, but not because I contacted them, but from something I did myself. And the next person is uh, uh, Mikael Rovere of Aris. Uh, he was killed in 1563, but he used the Old New Testament writings, plus those of the early, quote, church fathers, to confront the Jesuits and others who didn't hold to the original doctrine. And I found that in a, a Dutch document that I had to translate. I don't do Dutch. I mean, I basically what I did. I, I Google translated it so I could I could read it. But that's what it's uh, uh, that's that's what it said. Okay. Okay. From there, um, we have information from Lesson Fifty Two of the Old Ambassador Correspondence Course. Because now I've got uh, uh, yeah, Francis uh, David from there. With the doctrinal information we have on it is sparse, but uh, should point out uh, some. Is, I should point out for a moment that sometimes church god leaders were called Unitarians when they were Unitarians, uh, uh, and oftentimes we were grouped together with the Unitarians. Now the true church god was never strictly Unitarian, but that Aryan label was sometimes applied to people. On groups in Church of God because we're not Trinitarian. So I did want to I wanted to mention that before I went any further. Now this next part where I've got unnamed Sabbatarian, I want to comment that 
Christopher Franken and Jacob Paleologus were martyred and were public Sabbatarians during that time. But it doesn't seem like they were truly Church of God. Um, it's possible that they may have had Church of God exposure, and maybe they were Church of God, and we have just wrong information about them. So I, instead of putting them in, I put unnamed, because we're just, we know there were Sabbath keepers at the time, but we don't know what they taught, these particular ones taught. Then we have Andreas Iasi, and this is going into uh, uh, like the Transylvania area. Simon Pesci. Now, we're going into England. Now, most of what I'm going to have of uh, this list comes from uh, the Seventh-day Baptist in Europe. But I also found a book by Dr. Ball on Seventh-day Men. And this is important because one mistake I've seen, and it's not that I have not possibly made a mistake, I will be the first to admit that I've probably made some mistakes when I put this together, is that when uh, I've seen other lists of so-called Church of God leaders from England in the 1600s and later, some of those people, they were Sabbath keepers, but they were not Church of God. And I've tried to distinguish between those. Uh, now, the Seventh-day Baptists consider all of them their successors, but the ones who were Church of God did not hold Seventh-day Baptist doctrine. Okay? They, they, the the Seventh-day Baptists at the, in the early 1600s were basically Calvinists, uh, they, they ate unclean meat, uh, they didn't keep Passover on the 14th, uh, etc., and, and they were Trinitarian. And that's different from the church God leaders at the same time. So anyway, uh, we have John uh, 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 Trasky, uh, followed by uh, John Pecky, uh, Peter Chamberlain, who I mentioned before, and he had contacted people in the New World, or the Americas, uh, then James John, then William Soller or Seller. And Soller or Seller, I could see some compromise coming in. I've read his, some of his writings. Uh, then you've got uh, Henry uh, Sowersby. And then I've got from 1712 or 1716, perhaps to 1743, we have Thomas Lucas. Now, he was still in uh, the British Isles. Sometime in the 1660s, John Maxim and uh, John Crandall embraced the Sabbath. Um, they, the Seventh-day Baptists don't know how they picked this up. It might have to do, however, with somebody called Mr. Cotton, who uh, Dr. Chamberlain had contact with uh, from England. And there was a tie between the British Sabbatarians and the American Sabbatarians. Um, John Crandall uh, was an elder no later than... Uh, uh, 1671. We've got limited information on, uh, on Nathan Rogers, but he did become a pastor, and he seems like he was more Church of God than Seventh-day Baptist based on some writings that I looked into. Now at the same basic time, you've got Thomas Lucas in the British Isles and seen the whole the leadership succession there. There's actually a Baptist document that only lists, exists in the, well, the Baptist Holy Document that only exists in the Bristol Baptist Library, which could give me more information, but I haven't seen that one. And so I show this as the over, overlapping list uh, from uh, Britain and the New World. So over in the Americas, you've got John Maxim from 1712, followed by John Maxim Jr. in 1716, then Joseph Crandall, then Joseph Maxim, then John Maxim, then Nathan Rogers, 
then James Dunn, then either John Cottrell or Peter Davis. I'm not sure which. Uh, Cottrell started to get older, and when he got old, his son uh, drew him out of the Church of God. Then from uh, around 1839 or 1850 to around 1871, there's a, a Sabbatarian leader called Asa B, who may have been Church of God, uh, followed by uh, people I mentioned before, A.C. Long, William C. Long, S.W. Mentor. Then from 1921 1933, we have uh, Andrew N. Duggar. Or from 1922 to 1933, we have John Stanford. I want to talk about both of these guys for a moment. We believe in the continuing Church of God that uh, uh, Ann Duggar lost his uh, succession mantle. Why? Because he was presented with information that he said was true but wouldn't teach it. Okay? So that's why we have him losing it uh, in 1933. Uh, what about uh, John S. Stanford? Now, John S. Stanford was not part of the official Church of God Seventh Day, but he was uh, had some type of affiliation with... Uh, 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 with them, in a sense. And he also kept the holy days. But he had some misunderstandings about prophecy. And because he had misunderstandings about prophecy, he seems to have faded out of history about this time. So anyway, either of them could have had the succession. And this was followed by uh, Herbert W. Armstrong from 1933-1986. Then from 1986 to 2011, I've got three people listed here and then myself for 2011 to present. Now let me just talk about a couple of things. First, uh, I, did, I have spoken to Aaron Dean about this. Uh, he knows he's on this list. We discussed it. And he knows why I had the list uh, stopped for him. Uh, uh, I have 1986-2011. Aaron, Aaron Dean was offered the succession handle, by the way, Herbert Armstrong, it's a, or more something along that line, and he didn't take it. Uh, he has been faithful, but he's he's accepted or been enduring, if you will, a non-Philadelphian uh, governance, and I've discussed that with him. Then you've got uh, uh, Roderick C. Meredith, who did hold to a lot of Philadelphian uh, ideas, but he, like A. N. Duggar, rejected truth. He and his uh, chief evangelists in Charlotte, North Carolina, had agreed a variety of doctrinal things and corrections they were going to make to fix mistakes, and later decided, nope, they're going to teach error. And so if he ever had the succession mantle, he would have lost it. The other one would have been uh, the Bar of Partian from, uh, 2010 to, uh, from 1986 to 2010. He was never the top leader, but he was kind of behind-the-scenes guy. Uh, he uh, objected to some wrong things uh, in the... Uh, that last church organization he was part of, uh, he said, I was correct on all this stuff, I should keep doing all this stuff, uh, etc. So this is why uh, he's on the list. Now, we do not claim this is the only possible list. There were different apostles, so there would be different uh, lists, different historical lists. We have mixtures of issues. We also believe, by the way, that any properly laying out of hand, ordained uh, Church of God minister has apostolic succession. So we don't say that I'm the only one or our people are the only one. But what we do contend is that the Philadelphia mantle passed from Herbert Armstrong to one of the three leaders I mentioned before uh, to uh, myself in the continuing Church of God.
So that that's what we teach. So we do teach again that uh, this is not the only possible succession list. But as far as I can tell, we've restored for the first time a relatively complete succession list. If you have details that will assist us on this list, uh, you're invited to send a, an email to me. Uh, my email address is cogwriter at aol.com. That's c-o-g-w-r-i-t-e-r at aol.com. But don't just give me an opinion. We want references. We want, want facts because we are interested in updating this because we do believe this will, will help us. Um, so you've now gotten to see a list, uh, and a list from, from the time of the apostles uh, to presence showing uh, who our leaders. The true Christian church has continued throughout the ages with succession. And we believe in the succession of the seven churches of Revelation. They're mentioned in Revelation 1 verse 11 as well as chapters 2 and 3. Now history shows groups with different names, but who held Church of God doctrines existed from the time of Jesus uh, until present. We, the continuing Church of God, assert that all true Christian ministers have or should have succession from the original apostles. We assert that the we have succession through the laying on of hands from the original apostles to the ministry, to the members today. And yes, there we have evidence of people coming over on boats, uh, from uh, the old world to the new world along that line. We contend that the continuing Church of God holds the original faith that Jesus' original apostles and those that the original Catholic Church held. We contend that the Protestants do not believe in Sola Scriptura. We have a free book on that if you want to see. And we also contend that there was no church representing modern Protestantism in ancient history. You won't find it. And the Protestant scholars know that. Uh, we contend that the Greco-Roman churches, including the Protestant churches, have changed from the original faith, and we can document the original faith from the beginning. And it's having the true original faith is what's necessary, because if a group doesn't have that, they don't have true apostolic succession. We, the Continuing Church of God, assert that we have both. We've given you a list to look at. So there is a list. Yes, it's a broken list in some parts, but we know from the writings of people like Catholic St. Jerome and other Greco-Roman historians that our people did exist. The fact we don't know what their names were doesn't mean that there were not leaders because they do have reports that there were leaders in these different groups. We in the Continuing Church of God do have true apostolic succession and I hope sharing this list will be helpful for you as you realize Jesus' words were correct, that he would build his church and uh, death or Hades would not prevail against it, and the church has continued to this day. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Continuing Church of God.